On the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast today, we're going to start actually previewing the basketball season, Mike, believe it or not. Uh, So we're going to look at the guards today of the Sixers. We are also going to have on the author of the Sports Illustrated NBA Top 100 and co-host of the Open Floor podcast, that is one Ben Golliver who also happens to host that podcast with our enemy, Andrew Sharp. And we will talk about the first ever live to rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast with TJ McConnell. The Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast this week brought to you by our friend L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rice to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. And DraftKings play in a $100,000 pick'em contest this weekend for free with the promo code RTRS. All right, let's get to it. New music. As Mike hinted, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Spike. We introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah. I Well, I'll introduce myself now. My name is Spike Eskin, and right there, over there, is the guy that gave me the hint that uh, there will be new music today that you just heard. That is Liberty Baller's own Mike Levin. Good morning, Mike. What's up, man? We're just feeling things out. Feeling things out. Trying to figure We're it feeling out. Feeling it out. Trying it out. Being new. Yeah. Nothing's actually changing. We're we're not doing anything. We're not better. No, no, no. We're not. There's no. There's nothing really tangibly different. aside, aside from. Now uh, you get to hear about DraftKings. Yeah, yeah. There's just a different order. Just doing things yeah. in a different order occasionally. A little just, music, a little spice it up. Yeah. Come on, it's, it's, it's renovations. Come on. So as you heard, there was we have a different opening theme song um, due to some legal concerns that are <laughs> that are not the fault of Amos Lee. I want to say right at the outset, Amos Lee is a friend of the pod, the only person who has ever filled in on the pod. We love Amos Lee, but there were some samples in his theme song that would have been very difficult for us to clear for the <laughs> podcast. So, uh, and that I didn't know about, believe it or not, which says a lot that you didn't know about, which says a lot about our uh, music history is the sample is pretty obvious. But so we, uh, we did some deep digging and uh, we got Mr. Tommy Conwell, a local legend, Tommy Conwell, to let us use his big 1989 hit, I think, I'm Not Your Man. So thanks to Tommy Conwell for letting us to use that. And who's, who do you think this song is about? Who are we going to, Sixers-wise? Oh, I'm Not Your Man? Yeah. I don't know. Who do you think it's about? I don't know. Like, Dante Exum? <laughs> Jaleel Okafor? Yeah, <laughs> a little Okafor? more on the nose, yeah. <laughs> All right. So... Before we get to Ben Golliver and the um, the uh, guards preview, we'd like to talk, you know, I was talking to Mike yesterday, I think it was yesterday, yeah, about the number of people who listen to the podcast who don't really follow us on social media or anything, and if that's the case that you don't know that we are doing the first ever official, you know, we've, we've toyed with it before, but the first ever official Spike and Mike and TJ McConnell live podcast It'll be at Underground Arts on October 7th. Uh, tickets are $20 and on sale now. I do not think they'll last through the weekend. And we've warned you before with this type of thing. Oh, it'll sell out. Oh, it, this happened to the lottery party. And everybody was crying. So um, if you – well, I just – I don't want to deal with criers, Mike. So 
You don't like crying. I don't it's like fine. crying. So the way it's, the, the way it's going to be is door, the, the uh, podcast starts at four o'clock. Doors are going to open at two thirty, so we can hang out with everybody. Um, TJ McConnell will be there for the second half of the podcast. The actual TJ McConnell, Mike. I know. I got a bunch of ideas. Yeah, I mean, I want to. I want to run it by you off pot, but yeah, I got a bunch of ideas. I mean, things I, that might might not make him as comfortable as he should be, but I'm. I got some ideas. Well, I mean. I tried to explain to TJ's people the ovation that TJ, like just being in the room for the loud standing ovation that TJ McConnell gets that he, there's no way he has any idea what it's going to be like. Like there's just, I don't think there's any way he can comprehend what that's going to be like. So that, be- I mean, he's like, even, I mean, there's more fans at the Sixers game when he, he's had fans cheer him before. Right. But, but like with the, this will sort of be like, you, have you ever watched the old Beatles footage when the girls are crying in the front row when the Beatles <laughs> sure, go on? Okay. Yeah, this uh, is what right. it'll sort of be like, you know, it's the club version. Of, you sold me. Yeah. So it's going to be amazing. We're also going to have some uh, special guests on the pod. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll have plenty of time to hang out with everybody and everyone, though we are saying no autographs from T because we just don't have time the it's it's not a ton of people but it's too many people to do autographs but everyone will get a picture with tj on their way out so tickets are 20 bucks as i said i don't think they're going to last through the weekend so just go to writes to rickysanchez.com uh the event is 21 plus we had very little maneuverability as to when the date could be so our venue maneuverability was very small and ua is a a 21 plus we're very happy to have it there but it's got to be 21 plus if it's there where where is underground arts just so people if you don't know it is at 12th and callow hill it's an awesome venue so i've seen shows there i also saw uh, uh, jim ross do like a like like a uh, spoken word thing there you know where he told like old stories wrestler guy jim ross it's nice. a, it's a great venue great uh good beers great bar food um and a really neat place like it'll be intimate but very cool so it we're very excited to do it i uh, are you ex- i'm very excited to do this i'm excited yeah I'm, I mean, flying, I'm flying in for it he's flying in for it guys he's Come flying on. in for it. it's our first ever you know live podcast event i don't we did know. do that one at, at the buffalo wild wings that six people could hear yeah somebody brought that up you said what about 2015 and by the way officially andrew sharp was on that podcast i mean he spoke in oh uh, yeah that's why it's not that's why it doesn't count yeah so but nobody could hear it because we had one tiny speaker we can promise that everyone in the building will hear it this time so there's, there's primarily it's a it's a music venue primarily right yeah, uh, yeah, it's mostly a music venue. Yeah, so uh, maybe I maybe I bring my trombone, play a little, play a couple hits. Do you know how to play trombone? Yeah, so I play trombone. So I play trombone in high school. Oh wow, we'd love to hear you. Yeah, trombone. no, that would be great. <laughs> a new intro song. It's just me puttering around on a trombone. <laughs> that would be great. I'd be very into that. I, I can't believe we're actually doing this. I really can't believe that we're actually doing this. So so thanks to thanks to everyone who's got who has purchased tickets so far and thanks to everyone who will. Um the the uh the iTunes five star review of the day is I love the iTunes five star reviews that are negative but still give us five stars and that is this one. So we are on our way to 2,000. We'd like to get to 2,000 five-star ratings and reviews. So please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This one comes from Jay Braids. If you're a passionate Philadelphian with an agenda, you found the right corporate sellouts to affirm your bas- basketball-related hot takes. Come for the biased political commentary, but stay for the unnecessarily detailed off-season analysis of fringe NBA players you've never heard of. Look, guys, we get it. The Sixers are good now. You've lost your market. Give up. Five stars. 
I think about that every day. <laughs> that we've lost our market? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're too good. Too good. Way too good for us anymore. Too good. So we're looking forward to talking to Ben Golliver. So uh, before we talk to Ben, just a little setup here. First of all, his Sports Illustrated Top 100 came out this week. They did a whole podcast about it on Open Floor with Rob Mahoney, the guy who did the, the Top 100 with him, and Sharp. But Sharp has no idea that Golliver is coming on the podcast. Well, so. now now he does because he will have he well, will when have he's hearing this. The link. Yeah, right. But that will, when he sees the link, that will be – or when he downloads it, that will be the first time he finds out. Does it what your level of satisfaction that you're doing that to him? I feel pretty satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> this this was my idea, and I do feel I, I do feel very satisfied that it's happening. Yeah, um, uh, we'll get into it more when Ben gets on. But I before he does because I, I feel like this is uh, could be construed as confrontational. I don't I don't want it to be. I don't want to confront our guest immediately. Why? What's the purpose of a top 100? What's who does that? Is it just is it just the clicks? Or ah, like, cause I think, I think, you know, ESPN, it's, a, it's a fun discussion thing. Cause yeah. I, I can buy that, but yeah, but I've, like, uh, it's very vague. It's too, it's too vague for me. Well, I mean, I, I think it's fun discussion. It's a good like month away from the season sort of talking point. Sure. And I sure. think, I think sometimes these sort of like, who's better there's to me, there's no better sport to do who's better than basketball. Be, I, and I think it's because the positions are so, they're not similar, but everybody's kind of doing the same thing. So it's a, you know, whereas in football to compare, to say who's better, Tom Brady or J.J. Watt is an absurd conversation. But to say who's better, um, you know, uh, Kevin Durant or Steph Curry is, I think, more fun. So I think it's fun. I will say ESPN does one that seems way more haphazard than, and I'm not trying to insult anybody who does the ESPN one, but I know Golliver and Mahoney really stress over their top 100 so they do put work into it so it's dumb but i think it's dumb fun don't you yeah yeah. yeah. it's it's it is like it's anger juice yeah yeah like uh, my list of things to talk about are why like this is all i'm going to do then to Gulliver. why is so and so ahead of robert covington why is this guy ahead of robert covington why is that guy ahead of robert covington you know and i I'll, i'll tell you i think the the uh the the overload of of information makes it harder for me to read long long pieces like I used to, and I really enjoyed reading them. But the the great thing about the top one hundred is that it's really long, but it's broken up into little bits, so it's easy for me to read and come back to and read and come back to. So I do hate their love for like the players that I hate the most, guys like Millsap and Marcus All and shit like that. Uh, but that's a, those are Gulliver type of players anyway. But but overall, I think they do a good job. So, yeah, I I think I would prefer. I generally prefer the like the future rankings of the like guys under twenty five, whatever, whatever. Oh yeah, that, well that's, that's fun too. The guys like who's going to play better this year? Like, how do you really say like Carmelo Anthony versus Embiid? Like, it's yeah. a weird, it's a weird thing. Yeah, know. well, it's all weird. It's all weird and it's all stupid. But we do it anyway. So yeah. And I and I and I always click on them, and I get mad no matter yeah. what. Yeah. So 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 uh, it works. Yeah. So it works perfectly. So, all right. Before we call Ben Golliver, let's talk about our sponsor, DraftKings. Mike, you know DraftKings. DraftKings, of course. DraftKings is the king of one week fantasy football. This Sunday, DraftKings is a hosting a 
$100,000 Pick'em Contest that is totally free to enter. Just use our code RTRS. Now, I mentioned to you last week, Mike, I played the same lineup in four different DraftKings contests last week. Would you like to know yeah. what would you like to know how much I made? I would. Zero dollars because I'm really terrible at it. I uh Kirk Cousins, I'm a total turncoat, and I had Kirk Cousins in in four different and I also had Odell Beckham Jr., who didn't even play, and I didn't oh, know he not... wasn't gonna play. But here's the great I won. Here, I oh, won did, you? did you? I won fifty I won fifty cents. That's Big nice. Time. Yeah, well, dude, you win 50 cents every week for the rest of your life. You're you're huge. You're that's your savings. That's your There's retirement your right there. Yeah. The but the great thing about DraftKings is that I made the poor Kirk Cousins choice, but that isn't a choice that I make for the rest of the season. You draft a new lineup every single week. There's all different kinds of of contests including Pick'em, which is like the new way to play fantasy football. It's faster than any other way you play fantasy football. Um, what they do is they organize players into eight tiers and you select one player from each tier. You don't have to worry about salary cap or anything that there are public contests, you know, for big money. There are private contests. If you and your say you're in a season long league, if you want to have a separate contest with those guys just for one week, you can do that. They have beginner, they have beginner level, they have high level, they have um, you know, single entry contests, all those kinds of things. So it is. And, ju- and just to stay on brand, DraftKings is a gender neutral term. Could be Draft Queens, but it is DraftKings for branding, but it is gender neutral. I just want to say that. Yes, it is. So get to DraftKings.com now. Use promo code RTRS to play in DraftKings free contest with $100,000 in total prizes this Sunday. Use promo code RTRS because you love us to compete for your share of $100,000 in total prizes. Contest is totally free to enter, so you have no excuse not to try. DraftKings, the game inside the game, eligibility restrictions of pro- Damn it, I almost had it. Eligibility (laughs) restrictions. Can you do that? Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. There you go. Back to bed. Let's go to bed. Gentlemen, how's it going? Oh, what's up, Ben? Man, they said it would never happen, and here it is. I'm glad to be here. Wow, Ben Golliver. So the first question is, you're obviously cheating on your podcast partner, Andrew Sharp, who Mike has said many times is not allowed on this podcast ever. You are sneak coming on this podcast. He has no idea. Do you think, obviously, we want to get the the hard stuff out of the way first before we fry you on Robert Covington, but um, do you think this is going to cause open floor friction? I mean, could this be the beginning of the end of the pod? I wouldn't go that far, but look, I will admit a tinge of guilt doing this. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, open floor listeners know that I got sold out pretty hard. Uh, I'm a big Jordan sneaker stan. We were, oh, in yeah. this sum- we were in a summit meeting with the Jordan brand in New York City. And Andrew made a point to let them know that I voted for Adidas endorser James Harden for MVP, <laughs> not Russell Westbrook or Kawhi Leonard. So after that, I realized that Sharp was always willing to go lower than I could possibly go. And I, I don't really think this is as bad as that is, but uh, certainly uh, I have mixed feelings. I love it. I love it. A little, little vengeance. Yeah. A little juice get back at him. Yeah. The uh- – you know, the before we get to the top 100, uh, I, I actually wanted to ask you about the podcast really quick in general because I remember when you first started with Sharp and I listened to the first few episodes and I actually 
told Sharp, I was like, oh man, I was like, you guys are so different. I, I don't, I don't know. I was like, this is weird. I was like, that guy's pretty straight and you're pretty goofy. And, but I will tell you, and I would never admit this to Sharp, even though he's listening to this, but I, I told him as time went on, like, you're hilarious. And the, the chemistry that you guys have developed being as different as you are, I think is really, really good. I, I don't think people understand how hard it is to develop that sort of rhythm and chemistry. Um, but you guys have, did you feel how different it was and how at the beginning, the difference between then and now? It really feels like you're asking me if I fell in love with him or something like well, that. Well, no, but you, you got well. I, wait a minute. He was off for a month, and all you did was talk about how much you liked having him back. So you are a little bit in love with him, I think. Uh, there is no question that he is the glue guy of the podcast. I mean, if it, without him, it wouldn't work. I think someone compared him recently in a negative way to Draymond, kind of saying that his highs were highs and his lows were lows. But in reality, Draymond's lows are just really obvious. You know, they're not very common, and he has a very high baseline level of play and i think that's a a great comp for sharp um you know and actually i have ulterior motives that i should just get out of the way i think we should try to bridge a piece here you know like if chuck and nancy and trump can come together on immigration i think we can bring you guys together with sharp i mean this this war has just been ongoing i feel like maybe i'm well suited to bridge the gap here Uh, is there any chance at reconciliation could we do that Ben, this is not what we brought you on for. <laughs> yeah, Mike has Mike. Mike is like uh, North Korea in this, in that he has no desire for peace. He would rather burn everything down than have yeah. peace. I think. I just I'm just the guy with the we, guy with the weapons. Yeah. So wait, I so I I lived with Sharp, as people as you know. Uh, what do you what do you think Sharp is like to live with? Before we get into the top one hundred. <laughs> Uh, I have no idea, but I imagine there's a lot of debates. Uh, He has an innate ability to hone in on weak aspects of arguments and then just ride them into the ground. Um, That really was our entire week of podcast. You know, we did this top 100 where we're ranking guys and it's an impossible exercise. Right. And we admit that it's an impossible exercise up front, but he does a brilliant job of pinpointing exactly why it's an impossible exercise and why it's basically pointless. But because I devote an entire month of my life to it, uh, it really gets at my self-esteem and and confidence uh, as he just kind of pinpricks at it. And he (laughs) he takes so much joy at it. So I'm now trying to translate that to regular life, whether it's like the dishes or, you know, who's cooking dinner or whatever. And I'm imagining that that could that could be borderline torture. Well, Uh, that's interesting. That's interesting because I I would say that I I always outlasted Sharp in the arguments. He would oh, eventually okay. just give up and want to take a nap. Well, see, I would, on, on behalf I of Sharp, I'm going to jump in and, and he's going to say that's BS, and he's probably going to say f you, and that's going to say that never happened, and you always change the goalposts. I mean, I, I could just hear his Certainly voice that. in my head right now. Certainly that. And by the way, he didn't do any of the dishes. <laughs> this uh, so. I, I, you know, as crazy as he drives you, I will say if you were trying to on the the podcast you did this week with him and Mahoney, you got him so mad that he cursed. He said the F word twice out of anger and almost said it a third time because you you just belittled 
any knowledge he had. So, uh, so I, I give you, I give you a lot of credit for making him really angry. You really got to him this week, I think. No, oh, I have to apologize for that too. We, we went too far. We got a lot of le- uh, listeners saying like, Ben, you just got to chill out. Like it's, <laughs> it, you like took it to 11. It needs to just dial back to like eight. But the other thing is, um, we also did a reconciliation podcast. So this goes back to sort of the, the marriage relationship thing that we were discussing earlier. We, we felt so bad about how angry we were that we had to schedule an extra podcast on Friday to just sort of come back together. So we, we took a very lighthearted topic of our top five favorite games we've ever been to. And we like walked each other and kind of like patted each other on the back through our top five. And it was <laughs> much less contentious. Wow, seems like you need us to re- reconcile your sharp relationship. Yeah. yeah, no, I think our podcast producer was actually the one who who thought that this counseling session was going to be good for us. <laughs> I like I like it when it gets heated. Me and Spike get heated all the time. I think uh, I don't think enough podcasts get mad at each other. That, that's my vote. Yeah, I'm in. I mean, that's what they say. Like, the more you argue, the better, and that's that's what all of the industry experts say. But let's get back to trying to to make peace. I mean, is there any hope ever? And why is it? Because here, here's the thing. I don't really know the backstory between you guys other than the whole, you know, living together, which Sharp mentions, you know, once every 1.6 podcasts, he has to mention that he lived with you. So clearly you scarred him for life. Why is it so tense? What did he say that sort of turned you into North Korea? Well, uh, okay. you think it's fine. Well, yeah. So what I think happened was, so Sharp was on the, uh, what was the podcast with Ryan and Littman? What was it called? Um, NBA yeah, dark. After Dark, right. So so Sharp did a podcast on Grantland with Chris Ryan and Juliet Littman called NBA After Dark. And I listened to it. And I did not know Andrew Sharp at this point. And they made me so mad. And this includes <laughs> Philadelphian Chris Ryan and Juliet Littman and Sharp with their dismissing of the Sixers and the process. And like, and all they did was pat the Bucks on the back for, for building the right way. Meanwhile, like the Bucks are one lucky draft pick away from being a, a total disaster. Um, but, uh, and it drove me fucking nuts. So, and I didn't even know at the time that Mike had lived with Sharp. So I was talking about it on the pod, and then Mike, I think, sort of joined in because he had had all these arguments with Sharp as well. And I think there was one specific podcast where I just – I even think I laid down the cannabis second-round knockout beat and and just <laughs> and just shit all over Bradley Beal's injuries and, and, and the Wizards for, for like three straight minutes, and that was yeah. – and 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 Sharp, to his credit, really wrapped his arms around being the villain of the podcast. I mean, every time he's shown up in an event, he comes out there with his arms raised, and they boo him to death. So that that's yeah, sort the, of the history. The secret is that Spike and Sharp are pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We are takes wise. Uh, well, I love he was, Sharp. This is all this is all for publicity. I love him. He's my, one of my favorite people in the world. How much money did you make off those T-shirts? Let's let's just get that out. I mean, is that like a twenty thousand dollar, fifty thousand dollar? So I mean, I, I'm imagining half the city of Philadelphia wearing those shirts. <laughs> so the the truth is, is up until uh, you know one podcast ago, Mike or I have never made one cent off of any T-shirt or any podcast or any event. Um, so those T-shirts were um, were basically done at like at cost. So we could make it part of the package when people came down there. So, um, so every Andrew Sharp appearance in those T-shirts, all we've done is donate everything to charity. So not one cent. In a way, that actually probably hurts him more. <laughs> that, he, 
<laughs> be that he hasn't been able to move the product. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> Not yeah. hated enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get into the top 100. Uh, so how did you guys talk about how you guys did this? Like what the actual process of you and Rob deciding like who goes first? How many arguments were there between you guys? Was it like a was it like almost like a draft where you pick back and forth? So imagine just the most pathetic way you could possibly spend a month, and that's basically what it is. So we've done this for for five years. It gets more intense and longer and more painful every time. There's two of us. uh, Rob and I have kind of headed this up basically since we took over from Zach Lowe at SI. Uh, We each make a list of our top 100 guys. To make that list, we compile – we look at last year's list, obviously, as a, a place to start. Um, we also check in over the course of the season in terms of guys we think might be like big risers, big fallers and so forth. Uh, obviously, you know, during that stretch of like January, a guy like Joel Embiid is just like on our, you know, radar, you know, like big red, big red sirens. Um, so then we each make our list. We put the list together. We consult the major advanced stats, whether it's player efficiency rating, warp, win shares, real plus minus. Uh, we look at all of their you know, per game stats, we look at availability, health, uh, off court red flags. You know, if you're getting popped for, uh, you know, marijuana multiple times in a year or something like that's going to come up. We also look at, uh, we rely heavily on team impact. So, you know, if guys are making their team better or worse, if they get traded, do those new teams improve or not improve? Uh, we're trying to take as much into account as we look at what we call the vacuum test, which is which are these players are you going to take if they're all in a draft f- just for next season? So it's a forward-looking list. It's not who had the best 100 years from last year. Uh, and it's which of those guys would you want if basically if you were picking up sides and you had just a random collection of teammates. So uh, usually the number one spot has been pretty quick. You know, we, we default to LeBron without too much debate. But after that, we argue through every single position, one to 100, and actually you know, further than 100 because we go to 25 snubs. So we usually argue to, through about 130 players, uh, and it gets as tedious as you would imagine. It takes you know, weeks of phone calls. And then we, we set a list. We, we circulate it around internally. People like Sharp weigh in. Uh, you know, the other SI writers weigh in. The editors weigh in. We make adjustments, uh, and then you know, we set the final list, and that's how we do it. So it's not like you just say, like, all right, Vucevic, we know he's 89. Peg him in there right away. Move on. Yeah, There are some guys who, like, if they basically had the same year they had the previous year, we kind of know they're going to be in a similar spot. Uh, one thing we've tried to get better on, though, with that is with aging legends, we got burned a couple times by just, like, showing too much respect to Kobe Bryant and just, like, never being willing to say he's going to fall off a cliff after he had already fallen off the cliff. So there are situations where, like, you would think a guy is just going to be destined for the 80s again because he had another mediocre season. But it turns out there's, like, 10, you know, legends who all fell off simultaneously or, you know, guys like Chris Bosh who are just no longer in the league who, you know, almost by default bump some of these other guys up just because, uh, you know, they're they're no longer the same players. Uh, one thing that I think you do, one little trick that you have is – and. You know, I, I, I know you rip sharp a lot for just liking bucket getters. And I would say that I am uh, I'm a little more reasonable than sharp in that, but but in that same camp. You seem to use defense uh, when you feel like it. 
You know, like, um, <laughs> like, mm. like you. I'm all for this guy's not a two way player. He is a two way player. But it seems like when you, I, you know, I was a Harden for MVP guy last year. But when the two leading candidates for MVP are James Harden and Russell Westbrook, like, doesn't the idea of defense, especially at the guard positions, it seems like when you don't like a guy, you hold the defense against him. But when you do like a guy, you don't hold this defense against him. Uh, well, if we're talking about just those two players, I disagree just because what we're looking at is the scope of Harden's offensive impact. And he's leading a top 10 all-time offense and Westbrook's leading a number 17 offense last season. So if a guy is a one-way player, but his one-way play is leading to some of the best basketball, most efficient offense, you know, most modern style that we've really ever seen in NBA history, that's going to count more than a guy who's just doing a lot uh, while also lagging on defense. It's a hard balance. And last year, if, if you look at sort of the average offensive efficiency, it was way up. I mean, the league has going is is take, it's taking a hard turn towards offense being uh, sort of what's driving it. There's been other times during the league's history where that happened. Go back to the 80s. I mean, there's definitely been some lulls where the basketball got more boring. But the Warriors have kind of christened this era where, like, it's all about crazy efficient offense and the defenses really haven't caught up yet. So uh, we have tried to make those adjustments in our lists. But we also do feel pretty philosophically, and I'm speaking both for myself and, and on behalf of Rob, is like, Defense is still way overlooked and way underrated. So if you've got like, you know, the, the guy we're always arguing about, Paul Millsap, right? And he had kind of a dying year last year, so it's not the best argument. But like two years ago, he was just like insane on every advanced stat. Defensive numbers off the charts, huge impact. He's never going to get the proper amount of attention that he deserves based on his overall game compared to your prototypical buck bucket getter who we're always going to talk about because there's fantasy basketball that reinforces their success. There's highlight reels. There's Twitter. I mean, how many times have you really watched a Paul Millsap highlight in your entire life? There Nothing. aren't any. You're, yeah, there aren't you're any. walking into the line. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. philosophically, we sort of almost feel this obligation. And yes, look, we admit we're up on a freaking high horse, okay? And the, and the horse doesn't always uh, ride straight. But we, we try as best as we possibly can to uh, give those guys their due and their credit. I hear that. Okay. Uh, Embiid at 41. Embiid at 41 is, you said in the in the article, that it's sort of like a middle ground between two things. What's the highest that you would have ranked Embiid? And then I suppose the lowest would have been he's not, he's not in there at all. Yeah, no. We never seriously considered not having him on. Uh, I mean, his play during that stretch, like when we made this argument, you know, during like the awards voting is like you have a really strong rookie of the year argument for Embiid, even though he played less than half a season. Even it's the right never, it's the right argument, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Even argument, though he never right. played a back to back. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir on that. Never played a back to back, never played 30 minutes, but still impact wise, you can definitely make a really strong case. He should have been the rookie of the year. Yeah. Uh, I think if he had, if we can guarantee him 75 games next year. He would have been right around 20. Uh, you know, he definitely would have been ahead of a player like Nikola Jokic, who we see as sort of like an elite offense, but still a long way to go on defense. With Embiid, we see an elite defense basically baked into what he does, and then a very, very good and all around skilled offensive player. Uh, so he would have been ahead of Jokic, certainly would have been ahead of Porzingis. Uh, the, the debate would have come with proven players 
the Marcus Sauls and the DeMarcus Cousins and the DeAndre Jordans of the world. I think that's sort of in the mix he would have been, uh, you know, sort of you know, compared to. But, you know, he looked like the best all-around center in the NBA when he was healthy last year. So we do have to factor that in. But uh, as I always say, and I do believe this, even though it's like one of the corniest things you can possibly say, the greatest, abil- uh, the greatest ability is availability. Like you have to be out there playing night in and night out. And I was scarred by the Greg Oden experience in Portland. You know, sure. I covered that basically from the ground up, went through all the things I'm sure you guys have gone through in terms of MRI results and updated timelines and setbacks and like everything you could possibly do over the course of, you know, five or six years with a guy. And, you know, that experience has, you know, reinforced to me just the importance of durability and being out there on a night to night basis, consistency. And so, you know, that's another thing that we try to take into account. But, you know, Embiid has the potential, much like Giannis last year, to make us look terrible. Like Giannis completely outplayed his ranking. It was probably our biggest miss of the entire season last year. And there's a very real possibility that Embiid will do that this season. I have a I have a I have a bunch of follow ups to this, but I want to talk. I, you, you, I didn't think about this ahead of time, but the Greg Oden stuff. I was obviously a huge Greg Oden fan and believed in him for years after I probably should have. But we as Sixers fans have dealt with uh, injured big men for the past seemingly decades, starting with Bynum and then Nerlens and then Embiid, and now everybody's meniscus and still Embiid. Uh, how how did uh, following along with Odin and having having like those hopes because you were still a, you, were, you were a fan on the early, on the uh, on the early going right it was like fan based and then you transitioned into being like a real real deal reporter but how did it like affect you as like a as a human being i mean it was just demoralizing i mean it wasn't just odin that's the thing like it was brandon roy who i think was basically the most popular blazer of you know probably like the post clyde drexler era it was lamarcus aldridge having these random heart scares that that seemed almost like Chris Bosch, like, like somehow this is just going to randomly end his career on some given moment. Uh, there was a lot going on during that era. And I think that the communication style uh, of the team was murky and kind of inconsistent at various points. And they yep. really tried to hide Odin. And I think the biggest contrast, I think, between Odin and Embiid is that Embiid seems to have his stuff together. You know, he's not going through the same level of depression and, you know, substance abuse that Odin went through at times. And also he's, he kept his personality. Like he still has it. Odin lost his personality, you know, within, uh, I'd say after probably the first two major injuries that he suffered, his personality was just gone. We never saw him. He was off the map. The Blazers media people would just prevent you from even talking to him. And the one memory I always have of Odin is we're at some, uh, you know, charity event for his foundation. So the, the NBA team is like not even involved with it. It's just like his own personal foundation. And we're sitting in like the birthday party room of, you know, essentially like a Chuck E. Cheese. And we're both in kids chairs. So you can imagine Greg <laughs> Odin in a, in, a, in a kid's chair. right? That's like his awesome. Knee, his knees are up by his ears. You know, he looks completely uncomfortable sitting, but he's in a really good mood. And, you know, this is very not that long before he wound up getting waived by the Blazers, you know, essentially ending his, any hope that he would have as a a superstar. And he was just in a real positive mood, upbeat, you know, talking about how he thought he could get back and, you know, do this and that. And, and, you know, trying to build on the success he had had when he was healthy. And it was such a normal moment. And it like, it was like, there was really nothing newsworthy from the interview besides the fact that he was actually talking to me. And, 
it was it, it just stands out because that was pretty much the only time over five years where he was even sort of a normal NBA player. And I do think that is one major contrast with Embiid where, you know, this guy, he's at concerts, he's on Twitter every single day, he's making headlines with his jokes, uh, you know, his thirst of Rihanna. I mean, all this is stuff that just Sixers fans can interact with that Blazers fans just never had access to. Uh, and that's to me, it's one of the saddest things about the Odin experience is not just the impact it had on fans, uh, but the impact that it had on him as well. I mean, he clearly went yeah. into his shell. Yeah. We, well, we had the we had the bad version of that with Bynum with him uh, bowling and flamenco dancing. So yeah, it was uh, the whole gamut. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of comparisons there, too, because, you know, Bynum put on a lot of weight, too. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah and well, he did also when he was, you know, the first oh, yeah. the first year. The famous it's, Shirley Temples, right? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. So the uh, wait, I have one more thing about okay. another ranking. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. So okay, so I'm a I'm a very lo- my arguments are always very logic based, and this is why Sharp hates hates arguing with me. Uh, if Embiid is Embiid's 41, right? When I, and I hear that I hear the logic behind it, it makes sense to me. But like, the best ability is availability. Like, if you're actually trying to win a championship. And, like, that's the goal. That's the goal on this list. If you're a team on this list and you're picking sides, like, the goal on this list is to win a championship. Like, wouldn't you rather have the the 20% chance that Embiid is healthy for 80 games than the 100% chance that LaMarcus Aldridge is going to be LaMarcus Aldridge for 100 games, all those games? Like, I, to me, it's like it's it's always worth the risk on on the talent especially proven talent not like it's now we're talking about Markel Fultz or Ben Simmons who hasn't played like Embiid has dominated in the NBA and so and we we know he's capable of getting you to maybe this is a, a bit ahead of myself but getting you to be like a top level team because of how good he was how how good the Sixers were compared to how bad they were when he wasn't on the court, and we know that Lamarcus Aldridge just like isn't going to do that. And you could say the same thing about like Chris yeah. Middleton and Demar no, Derozan. No, so like, no, no. I mean, I think when you look at Aldridge, like he's playing a key role in a team that won sixty plus games, went to the conference finals, and had the number one defense for an eighty-two game sample. And true. he's been he's been to the playoffs multiple times. I mean, but he's I, not going to be your centerpiece of a of a contending team, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but you can't call anybody a centerpiece if they're averaging 10.3 games over their three-year NBA career. Like we're we're really big on prove it. We don't want to hand rankings to guys. We don't want to say, oh yes, this is all based on potential. And that's one reason why we don't rank. But it's not potential. It's just it's just health. I'm not. It wasn't about the rookies. Yeah. For that for that month, he was one Uh, of the best players in the NBA. Yeah. I know on my best day, I'm better than Hemingway, right? I mean, I, I just that's not really how it works. You know, you got to do it night. I and mean, if you want to make the playoffs, if you want to do the things that you're talking about, if you want to, you want to get title, the fi- if you want to get the five seed, then you build your team around you know Chris Middleton and and Lamarcus Aldridge. That's you wanna, that, that it, what this is about. Yeah, and if if you want to win 35, then you build around a guy who averages 10.3 games. And then per we year. get Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz, and we're in good shape. How about that? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> hey, I hey look, I love the core. I'm a, the biggest Ben Simmons fan remaining i was watched all of his las vegas summer league games i was the only guy who wasn't scarred by it who was there it seems like uh everybody turned on him after that uh you know i probably don't like Fultz as much as a lot of people but uh you know we got to see it from Embiid. he can do it i mean if he plays 75 next year like i said he's going to be a top 20 player i we're pretty confident in that fact but uh the ifs the extrapolating off of you know a six-week sample size that's not how this list works 
Yeah, I, that's not. And by the way, that's not how I would build a team either. Uh, you know, and I think you can make the argument that like, okay, a good comp that we had a conversation Rob and I had was like with Andre Drummond, right? Like, if you're the Pistons, do you take the line of thinking that you are, which is, we have no real shot of being anything better than a really depressing six seed if we have a full season of Andre Drummond? Would we rather trade that for the opportunity to have a higher ceiling with Embiid? I think a team like the Pistons in that scenario would make that calculation. If you're the Grizzlies and you've been to the playoffs, what, five, six years in a row, you've made a Western Conference Finals, you've done it, are you willing to trade a Marcus All for the shot at something slightly higher with Joel Embiid? Uh, to us, the answer was no. Well, I, I think at the end of the day, the problem with the ranking is that it's it's either he's 15 or he's off the list. 40, what you have to do is a tough thing because he he, he is either, to me, he's either the guy that, at the end of this, he ends up being a guy that you take in the top 10 of this thing or you don't take him at all. Like, I, I think that's the, the tough thing you run into. So we'll see. And for, and for me, this is why I've always been pro-process even before he got here was I'm always willing to take that chance on that high-level talent rather than thinking that Eric Bledsoe on a fucking 31-win Suns team is going gonna, is gonna to do anything for me. All right. Next guy. Now, Golliver. Now, you, you have stepped right into – the Robert Covington Hive right here. It's the Nerlens Hive. It's the Robert Covington Hive. You have the following players ranked ahead of Robert Covington, and I, I want you to actually tell me if you were in a, in, a, um, in a franchise draft that you would take Greg Monroe, <laughs> Reggie Jackson, Marcine Gortat, and Tobias Harris over Robert Covington. Well, look, the list is correct, so we have to start from that <laughs> standpoint. <laughs> look, we call like I've said this on the podcast before. We call the top 100 because there's 100 players on it, and because we have a 100 percent approval rating. Okay, <laughs> Every, everyone worse. walks away from this list happy once they understand right. it. Uh, with Covington, it was it was a little bit of a, an effort to get him onto the list uh, yeah. because. The three and D guys who are like totally crippling three point shooters, we just kind of had to do away with. So I'm talking about like the Michael Kidd Gilchrists uh, and the Andre Robertsons of yeah. the world, just because once you get to that playoff, uh, you know, situation, all of their theoretical value that sounds great on paper, it comes back to bite you hard. They're the first people who can either get played off the court or really screw up your offense, right? And so what we saw with Covington was. You know, more potential than that, for sure. Uh, I mean, the the field goal percentage is pretty rough, but the three point percentage is not the worst in the world. And we were pretty convinced when you're throwing in new playmakers like Simmons and Fultz, who you mentioned earlier, and even just more of Embiid to swarm and take everybody's attention. That a player like Covington, if he was in that vacuum, would shoot better, would be more efficient on offense, and would be able to do more of the little things, whether it's second chance points, cutting, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, where he's making use of his athleticism and also, frankly, getting out in transition, too. That's another thing where, like, if you've got a set style with guys who are, you know, playmakers on a high level, he should be able to kind of feast from that. So we were feeling pretty confident that if he had the benefits that maybe a guy like Robertson's had or, or even Kid Gilchrist has had in Charlotte, his offense would look better. And then defensively, I mean, you know, the numbers are off the charts impact wise. You know, what else can you really say about a guy? Uh, so some of this was projecting to get him onto the list for the first time. Uh, some of it was, you know, when you do have a player who shoots that poorly, you know, you do have to kind of swallow on that one. Hold on. Uh, All right, Ben, 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 Ben. 
If yeah. we're going to talk about, like, let's take Jay Crowder for an example. What number was Jay Crowder? <laughs> you, you, have, you expect me to have 100 numbers memorized. Uh, I think he was in the 40s. In the 40s, right. Okay, so Jay, Crow Jay Crowder, I believe, uh, is like a career 35% three-point shooter. Robert Covington for his career is a 35% three-point shooter. And also Robert Covington, when you look further back, set a D-League record for three-point shooting, was an outstanding three-point shooter in college, and has played on a trash team. How, looking forward, is does Robert Covington not project as—he's a, a better defender than Jay Crowder, or he's at least as good as Jay Crowder, more versatile defensively than Jay Crowder. So how is, is Robert Covington in the late 80s and Jay Crowder in the mid-40s when they are essentially the same three-point shooter— and Jay Crowder's the only good year he's had, or the only 39% year he's had, was on a Boston Celtics team that was basically designed to get people open three-point shots that won 50-some games last year. Yeah, I mean, this is what Jay, happens when you walk in here, Ben. Jay, yeah. Jay, Crowder, Jay Crowder basically is a plus eight next uh, net rating last year for a team that's a number one seed. He's shown he can do it in multiple different locations. He's going to show that he can do it again in Cleveland. Uh, they are more similar players than... I think most people would give them credit for, again, we want to see some transition to winning. I mean, if you're just doing it. That's uh, nonsense. Why? That's nonsense. Why? It's transition to winning. You're ranking individual players. And, and at this point, we're ranking role players who basically complement winning. Like neither Jay Crowder nor Robert Covington is going to be the reason why the team um, you know, is is a sixty win team or a thirty win team? Like, you, if you put Jay Crowder on a bad team, the team would still be bad. The, you're talking about players who will make a good team, will make a, an average team good and a good team great, and maybe that's what we're talking about. But to punish Covington because he's not on a good team, I would say, look at what he's accomplished being on a bad team. He was basically the defensive linchpin of this team for the last two years. Um, and by the way, his improvement defensively and his improvement in terms of rebounding has been off the charts as well. I mean, if, if you're talking about the, the way that he projects, I think he projects as clearly better than Jay Crowder in the future if you're taking him for the next few years, certainly next year. Yeah, we're looking at this as a one-year exercise, of course. I mean, okay. again, we're trying to say, okay, can we see this translate even to an elite team defense? You know, if not, I understand he's got a weak supporting cast, but we have to reward the teams, the guys who play on the best team defenses. We have to reward the guys who have done it in the playoffs because the Boston fans will say, look, I mean, you know, Covington, he's out there. He misses 15 games on the season. He, you know, has never been to the playoffs, you know, during his Philly tenure. So what do his numbers really matter? I mean, I, to me, I I believe that defensive impact numbers hold up better than, say, like volume scoring numbers when you're comparing them to like the empty stats test. Right. Like, I think it's harder to maintain uh, awesome defensive stats in a tough situation because it's easier to just quit. Uh, and, you know, volume scoring stats, you know, you just you're shooting regardless. Somebody has to shoot. Right. Uh, but we have to be fair to the, to the guys who are doing it at that other level too, right? And at some point, we feel like if you are being consistently an elite defensive player, that will transition to winning. For him, it hasn't yet. Uh, hopefully, it does next season. And if it does next season and he proves it, we will move him up the list, I promise you. The winning stuff gets me. The winning stuff doesn't doesn't sit well with me. Eric Bledsoe at 38, he hasn't done much winning lately. Porzingis at 33, hasn't done much winning lately. I just don't... Uh... I don't know if it holds up. 
Well, so but, with those guys, with those guys, I mean, we're talking about more all-around complete players, and we do course, value that. Of course, of with course. Porzingis, you're talking about an elite rim-protecting defender. We do think interior defensive players are more important than uh, wing defensive players. We think wing de- defensive players in general are more important than on-ball defensive players. So if you've got Porzingis, seven-three, incredible length, can protect the rim at a similar level to you know players like Embiid or Rudy Gobert. And he has an all-around dynamic offensive package, number one score potential. You can't compare him to a guy like Robert Covington. I no, mean, no, I, I, I wasn't arguing that that should be the case. I was just pointing a flaw in your argument about that winning. I, I don't think Robert Covington's uh, he. Once you get past the top, you know, fourteen guys, these guys aren't the the main cog in what decides winning or losing anyway. So it's just about what team they're on. Danny Green on. The Nets would be uh, would be losing tons of games, but he's so where good. would you guys where would you guys put Covington? Top ten. I certainly put him ahead Tobias top, Harris. Top ten. I certainly put him over Tobias Harris every day. Tobias Harris isn't going to help anybody win any games. Well, Reggie it's, Jackson doesn't. Reggie Jackson actively helps his team lose. I mean, Reggie yeah. Jackson. Yeah, but that's that's like a one year overreaction reaction like, though. Like I hear I hear everybody picking our Reggie Jackson, and like nobody was saying that at the end of last season, right? They might've said, okay, they have locker room issues, but he's coming off career year. Then he gets injured. Now everybody bags on Reggie Jackson. And look, he wasn't the top 200 player last year, but you have to, you can't overreact to his worst season. Uh, you know, cause if we all overreacted to his best season, then you guys would be saying he's a top 40 player. You, well, know? Like you have to have some level of baseline and kind of smoothing effect here. It seems like you're overreacting to Yusuf Nurkic's like month and a half on the Blazers after being a nothing on the Nuggets. Well, you could say the same thing about Embiid. I mean, who really well, overreacted? No, you are, you are saying this, but Embiid was much uh, better than Yusuf Nurkic ever was. Yusuf Nurkic was very good impact-wise for the Blazers, and we expect that the contract year, uh, you know, as much as we love the vacuum, when you're playing for $100 million and it's sitting right there and you were almost out of the league in Denver, I mean, there was you know some real doubts about where his career was. I think he's going to come in motivated and those kinds of conditions are going to help him to have a, a really big year. I have my doubts about his health. I have my doubts about his ability to sustain what he did during that uh, during that segment. But he's you know set up to have a monster year, and it contributed to winning. I mean, when he was on the court, uh, they were really good. How much do you like Cody Zeller's screen setting to to put him at seventy? Uh, like, we like his like, screen setting. I mean, do you so guys much. do you guys know what, how well they played without him last year? Do you know that offhand? They're a bad team. They play they were, bad. When he wasn't out there, they were three and eighteen, right? So I mean, he is a very important piece of winning. It's not just screen setting, versatile defense. He can step out and guard different guys. Uh, huge impact on both ends. And they're going to be a playoff team this year. We think he should start over Dwight Howard personally. Uh, you know, they're probably going to play the political game and let Dwight start first because he's the veteran and because he'll m- more likely check out if he doesn't. Uh, but, you know, Zeller is going to be the guy who closes minutes for them in the playoffs, uh, closes minutes for them down the stretch. And he's got a nice little, you know, pop game, too. Uh, it'd be great if he could get a three point range. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's a classic underrated guy, again, where he looks way better by the advanced stats than he does by the eye test or. I mean, he's an easy punchline. People booed him on draft night. Uh, nobody was booing him last year when he was out injured and their entire season fell apart. So you got uh, you got JJ at 59. I was pleasantly surprised by that. Uh, I actually think it's a little bit high, but what do you, uh, what do you think whoa, with JJ? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you guys are deviating from your script. <laughs> wow. We're, we're fair. We're All fair right. on both sides. 
Yeah, okay. and in fairness, he's never played a game for the Sixers yet, so he's not, and we didn't draft him, so so I don't know. He was a really tough guy, though, because he is one where everything was set up beautifully for him with the Clippers. Like, there's not really a better point guard to run things if you're a guy who runs off a ton of screens, you want the catch-and-shoot shots, uh, you want uh, you know clean looks and other threats on the court with you offensively. Like, if that's your bread and butter, having multiple all-star level you know, playmakers with Griffin and Chris Paul is huge. I mean, the, the dribble handoff stuff that he would do with Blake Griffin just gets in points night in, night out. Being able to have the lob threat of DeAndre, uh, you know, distracting a team's help defense uh, is huge. And he's losing all of that by going to Philadelphia. And he's losing the experience at that point guard position. Uh, you know, when you're throwing in, I mean, to me, I, I have Ben Simmons as the point guard for them. That's how I would do it. Uh, you know, going from Chris Paul to Ben Simmons, that's definitely an adjustment. So we'll see. I mean, there is a possibility that this winds up looking overrated, uh, you know, age related decline. He's done a pretty good job of saving that off. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if he can do that for another year. Uh, I think that's one reason why you like the contract that he got just because, you know, whenever that wall hits, you'd rather it not be in the middle of a four year contract. Uh, but he was really good, uh, you know, super efficient catch and shoot. Uh, everybody knows J.J. Reddick's game at this point, and I think he's solid defensively, too. And, and that's another reason why he got a bump, you know, maybe above some other shooting specialists is because he can at least hold his own on the defensive end. We take. Hey, Ben, take a take a seat hey for a ben. second. Take ben, a, sit tight while we do our ad. Yeah, sit tight while we do our ad for L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. L.L. Pavorsky, a two-year sponsor of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. He has sold 49 engagement rings to Ricky listeners, one engagement ring given away, so many marriages. Look, Mike, let me tell you what L.L. is doing, a very special offer he has right now. Are you ready? I don't even think you know about this yet. Are you ready? I'm I'm seeing a bullet point. I can infer what it is. Yeah. Okay. Right now, if you buy a ring from L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers and – Agree to get engaged on Bust the Process 3 Operation Shithole. LL will pay for your trip, a double occupancy trip, you and your fiancé to go on the trip. So that is a retail value of over $1,100. The ring you buy has to be a minimum of $3,000. But, uh, you know, that is very, you know, that's not a ton for an engagement ring. So if you – Yeah, a good ring. You spend $3,000 LL and, and get engaged on the trip. LL will pay for your trip to Chicago and Milwaukee for Operation Shithole. Mike, that's the kind of jeweler you want. That's a hell of a deal. Yeah. And I even, you know, we mentioned engagement rings. I even know another guy. I won't say his name, but I personally know a guy who just went to LL this week. He didn't need a whole ring. I guess he had a ring from his family. He needed Lee to like redo the setting and this and that. And Lee took care of him. Yeah. Yeah, He was very happy with the whole experience. Everyone is happy with the whole experience. Coming up next month, a very special uh, special for Right Stricky Sanchez listeners to celebrate LL's two years of sponsoring the podcast that's coming in October. Before you go there to uh, get your engagement ring, make an appointment by calling LL at 215-627-2252, visiting at 707 Walnut, or visiting llpavorsky.com. And for every podcast, Lee's, uh, Lee's sponsorship goes to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and the great people of Justice Rescue. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Always on the right side of the finger. All right. 
now back to our interview with Ben. Now, Ben, hi, Ben. The uh, one non-Sixers thing I, I think is one thing I side with Sharp on is how we feel about Steph Curry and sort of how we feel about Durant. Um, I don't understand if if we're if I'm just playing lot if this then that with Durant and Curry. If the two years before Durant got there with Curry as the best player, the Golden State Warriors averaged seventy wins, won one championship. We're a, a Draymond nut punch away from another championship, and Curry wins um, two MVPs, and that's with Harrison Barnes instead of Kevin Durant. Um, how could Durant be ahead of Curry? Like, if, if I know if you look at total skills and total amount of skills, that Durant probably ranks ahead of him, but isn't Curry, you know, by that? By that logic, isn't Curry obviously more important than Durant is? Well, do you know more than Steve Kerr? What? No, Steve, no. Just because Steve Kerr said that. You, do you know why Steve <laughs> Kerr said that? Steve Kerr, I'm, I'm not talking about what other people said. I'm talking about reality, right? So Steve Kerr said that because Kevin Durant is a whiny little bitch who is writing. Wow. Well, he is. He's writing He's writing uh, hater lines on the bottom of his lame shoes um, he's doing 17 hours of podcast with Bill Simmons to make people like him. Like if I was Steve Kerr, I would know that Kevin Durant, that, that Steph Curry can take, if I'll say that, because Steph Curry obviously doesn't care and Kevin Durant can't. So let's forget about what, what Steve Kerr said and let's talk about what actually happened. What actually happened is by taking Kevin Durant off of the Warriors, they averaged 70 wins, went to two finals and won a championship. So how, given that logic, is Kevin Durant more important to a team than Steph Curry? Well, I side with Steve Kerr because if we're looking at the vacuum, <laughs> you're the uh, you are you're going to have Steph Curry guaranteed offense, but he's got a number of defensive players. He has improved as an individual defensive player, but he is the weakest defensive link on that team. He plays the least important defensive position on that team. So if you throw him into a vacuum, you better have a Draymond Green. You better have an Andrew Bogut. You better have. All the other defensive front court pieces they've had, even a Harrison Barnes, quality defensive player who can slide up and play the four. Andre Iguodal, the list goes on and on and on of guys they have to help cover for him. Even Clay Thompson, elite two-way player, to co- help cover for Steph Curry. So if you throw him in that vacuum, I'm going to guarantee you, I'll give you the number one offense in the league, regardless of who he's got around him, because he makes his teammates better. I'll, I'll go ahead and seed the gravity argument. But defensively, what do you look like? You don't know. You throw KD into the vacuum, I think you're guaranteeing a top three offensive efficiency year in, year out. They did excellent in Oklahoma City when he was there. Uh, I think the Westbrook factor is not as big of a deal. Even when Westbrook was out, his MVP season, awesome offense. I think defensively, he has gotten to the point where he can play the three, he can play the four, he takes the biggest assignments, he gives you minutes on LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. In small ball lineups, playoff matchups, he shifts up to the five block numbers highest of his career rim protection stats weren't great but he can at least do it defensive rebounding more than ever definitely can turn defense into offense by clearing the glass and going forward you're going to have a better shot at an elite offense and an elite defense in a vacuum if kd is your guy versus steph and that's the argument 
Yeah, well, I, 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 um, agree, I agree with that argument. Well, I'm, I'm looking at this blank page, and it's titled Number of Championships Kevin Durant Has Before Steph Curry and Number of 70 Win Teams That Kevin Wait, Durant Wait, weren't has. you guys just saying you hate the winning argument? No, well, I, I do. Play I, the winning no, 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 no. I don't but, agree with what Spike's saying. But, but what he said was it's not just the winning argument, and he said the winning argument outside of the top 15 is what he said specifically. So what I'm saying is is that in this specific I like it is rare that we have occasion to compare two guys who are this intertwined who have history before and after and even like you know everybody rips on on the Warriors for blowing a 3-1 lead like I watched Kevin Durant blow a 3-1 lead 3-1 lead to Steph Curry an injured Steph Curry by the way and the Warriors like I just think I think it is I think you have a. Wouldn't you say those Warriors teams were more talented overall than that Thunder team, though? Well, wait a minute. I would. The, the Thunder team had last year's MVP on it. Um, so uh, I mean, well, come on. he should he shouldn't have won MVP, and their, the rest of the roster wasn't as good as Golden State's roster. There was a reason. I mean, that Golden I, State team was awesome. It was great, you, much deeper, better you, fitting, better shooting. I mean, I think that they had more talent to work with. Your I, point, your point was like you have to surround Steph Curry with guys like Andrew Bogut, which I know are just are in in very oh, like defensive thesis like how, how yeah. are you going to have an elite defense if Steph Curry is your first pick you got to help him he's got to yeah, have sure Draymond, but right? that, that's definitely it's not impossible to get like this team is going to have other players around it I think you have a better chance of finding people to surround Steph Curry to make the team great than Kevin Durant and I think I think history has proven that mm, I don't All agree right. I, I agree with I Gallagher know. I don't want to mm. I don't I do know. I think it's really close. We struggled with two versus three. We struggled with three versus four. Uh, I think KD has taken it. If, if KD's defense was where it was three years ago, uh, and I give credit to Golden State for pulling the best out of him and, and for putting him in a situation where he can conserve energy and not have to do quite as much offensively, get his buckets easier, not have to play quite as many minutes as he was in Oklahoma City, uh, and just be focused and part of a better team defense – uh, then I would be more inclined to go that direction with you. Uh, but I know you guys want to dismiss Steve Kerr. I think this guy thinks long and hard about it. I don't think it's just a personality like ego stroking of Kevin Durant. I think he looked at that finals where Katie's putting up monster numbers across the board, playing huge defensive minutes um, and and just tipping his hat. No, I, I well, you're, I you're do t- think it's because it's because Durant needs to hear it and Steph can take it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think I think Durant should be too, but I also think that Steve Kerr is saying that because it's a personality thing. Yeah, and you're t- you're talking about a guy who played for two of the uh, the best coaches as far as um, you know mind games on players in Greg Popovich and Phil Jackson. Like you know, he knows how cer- certain people are motivated, and to to take the, to take the fact that he coaches those guys completely out of it is. I mean, I think it is more than anything. It is a clear indication that Steph Curry can hear that and not care whether it whether it how it affects Durant. I don't know, but for him to say one player on his team is better than another player, most coaches wouldn't say that at all. And I think he, it. I think it's pretty clear that it's a sign that Curry can take it. But whatever. Well, I, would, I think if we're saying who's a better leader, who has a better uh, leadership personality, I would agree the answer is Steph. We're moving on. This brings out the worst in us. Yeah. We're better than this. Yeah. Uh, but I want to ask you a quick thing. How many current or former Sixers do you think are on your top 100 without looking? Current or former Sixers? Oh, I have no idea. Give it a guess. That's what uh, the point. I, I really don't know. Maybe, well, we got three current. 
Uh, let me say, I'll just guess six. I don't know. It is eight. Okay. Eight former secretary. We got Embiid, Reddick, Covington, Iguodala, Drew, Nerlens, Lou Williams. Lou Williams making a surprise appearance. And former sixer, Alfred Payton. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, oh that's, I see. I see what you're doing. Okay. A, a sixer always. for, what was he, a sixer for an hour, basically? Yeah. It was a big hour. Yeah. It was a big hour. Ben, before we let you go, I wanted to, I wanted, because we, we, we gave it to you on this on this podcast, and I, I appreciate you hanging in there. Um, but I want to throw a bone your way. Back in 2010, you were still writing at Blazer's Edge, SB Nation's Blazer's Edge. Uh, and I was just starting out on Liberty Ballers, and I went to uh, Media Day for the draft, and um, I wrote this nonsense article about my experience and riding riding an elevator with Evan Turner, and it was cool. And uh, and you commented, uh, "Great work, Mike," on the article, <laughs> and it was nice. How did I, you How did you find that? I remember you. Hey, you were a big deal in, in the uh, in the Espionation blogging community oh, back then. Oh God, I, that's definitely not true. But I'm sure it was a great piece. I, I, I'm sad that I don't remember it, so that I could sound like the coolest guy ever, saying, "Oh yeah, this this great line that you had." But no, I've been no, longtime no. admirers of you guys. I mean, that's no secret. <laughs> well, uh, we thank you. For, I, I actually did not plan on debating so heavily with you, but Mike was saying before we had you on that what these 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 lists do is bring out the the worst argumentative um, parts of all of us, and it's a good it's a good a month away from the season thing to argue about. Uh, so I thought it was I thought even though you were wrong on most of it, I thought you did a good job. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, right. So so you you, <laughs> you guys have a beat at four. You got Steph Curry at one. You got a beat at two. You got yeah. Covington at three. Yeah, okay. I'll uh, look for your list. All right. The uh, you can uh, Ben's podcast is open floor. He, uh, you can read him at Sports Illustrated on Twitter at Ben Golliver. And I was telling Mike, I love on your Instagram to just comment fake on your pictures of like, I don't know if you see any of them, but I love going to your pictures of like canyons and stuff and just writing. I fake. see all of them. They're all real. Yeah. They're all real. <laughs> no, they're not. They're all shot with an iPhone. Okay. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I spent hours on those. They're artistic masterpieces. And I, I think you've actually kind of helped along. I have a lot of Instagram trolls now, so I, oh, I appreciate great. that. Yeah, great. All right. I, uh, thanks for coming on, Ben. It's my pleasure. Ben. And I'm serious. The only reason why I did this is so that you guys will reach peace with Sharp. It would mean a lot to him. So please, like, consider it. At least think about it. He's publicly never. Oh. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ben. All right. Take care, guys. I really wasn't uh, thinking about uh, giving it to him that much, but like this, you're right. Their lists are dumb. Their lists are dumb. Yeah, lists are, lists are stupid. They're and dumb. honestly, honestly, like outside of the top, let's say 14, because I could I could see Carl Anthony Towns becoming a guy that can change the change the dynamic of his team, and then I would say Embiid uh, is the most likely outside of that. Uh, I just don't believe like every everybody else is just a product of their situation. So to say like. Yeah. This guy won some games and that's contributed to winning and this guy didn't. It's like it doesn't make any sense. It's it should it's it, I did that logic didn't hold up for me. All right. But let's, I do but I do agree with Durant at two and Curry at three. Yeah, I don't. I know. All right. I would consider I would say I would consider Kawhi over Steph, but that'd be that's for me. Okay, let's get into the uh, specific Sixers portion of the podcast. All right, we're a month away from the regular season beginning, about two weeks away from 
um, training camp starting three weeks away from the Live Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast with TJ McConnell. And what we're going to do over the next three pods is break down like position groups. So we'll do wings next week. We will do bigs the following week. But this week we're going to do guards. The guards we're including in this are Markel Fultz, J.J. Redick, Jared Bayless, TJ McConnell, Furkan Korkmaz, and Nick Stauskas. So, um, you know, we've talked before about how I think they're going to announce. I think their starting lineup is going to be weird in terms of positions because I think they're going to announce Ben Simmons as the one, even though I think he'll be the four. Um, tra- you really think they're going to announce it in that in that way? Yeah, I think I think they I think they are the that they will demand it. Actually, that's my guess. Like who's they? Like we, uh, Simmons and his people. That's my guess. I, there is no – actually, I would be shocked if he's not announced as point guard. So all that will do was was mean that, you know, uh, like Redick will be called G slash F or something in the starting lineup. And I mean, why, it doesn't have to be like, you know, in college, Jay Wright starts like four guards. Yeah. Just like guard, 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 forward. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be – it could be three whatever. guards, two forwards. I mean, it could be three guards, a forward, and a center. So whatever. But traditionally, I think the two guards that start are Fultz and, and Redick. Do you agree there? I I think so. I I could see them surprising people and starting and, and, and not letting – not having, not having a Fultz start right away. You know what I mean? I could see them being, being like he's got to earn it kind of thing if he's not showing up. But I, I, I sort of doubt it. Yeah, because because uh, Bayless Reddick is a weird one too, and uh, I mean as much as I'd love TJ to start and make and make full turn it off the bench, uh, it's tough for me well, to you, say so. You know, it's interesting, and I, I I don't think there's any way I don't think there's any way ego wise that Reddick or Fultz doesn't start. I don't think off the top unless somebody's hurt. But yeah. uh, Tom McGinnis said something. I was at a, <laughs> I was at a, a synagogue in Elkins Park doing a. Wow. Yeah, it was me, Keith Pompey, and Tom McGinnis at like a, a, a men's club synagogue. It was, it was, it was Keith's synagogue. Yeah, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, he did a couple more for Minion. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was very nice, but uh, there was at one point where they asked us who the starters would be. And McGinnis said something interesting. I think he just floated out there as an idea in that in starting both Covington and Sarich and not starting Reddick and basically going faults like Covington at the two, Sarich at the three, Simmons at the four, and Beat at the five, which I think is a lineup they'll play at some point. But I, I don't think. Um, I, I, no, I don't like that. I don't because I, I don't think right now I have the confidence in Sarge's shot. Sim, Simmons, Simmons, Dario, yeah. defensively. Yeah. So uh, faults are like I, I guess my my um, thought on him is he probably he probably ends up averaging by the end of the year somewhere between twenty seven and twenty nine minutes, and I think we see a like. 12 points, five assists, four boards sort of season. I, but I, my concern with him is just at the start of the season and being off ball as much as I think he'll be, um, given what, what Simmons has to do to be successful. But mm-hmm. but we'll see. That, so that's, that's sort D'Angelo, of started, D'Angelo started 28, game, 28 minutes per game, or average 28 minutes per game. Uh, and that feels about right to me as well. I think... Because we have, I want to, and this is, and you know, Alfred, Alfred Payton is a rookie, thirty minutes a game, then twenty nine. I think it'll be in that twenty eight to thirty range. Um, 
but I, I, I want TJ to get his minutes, man. I think it's helpful. I think I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, overload faults. Let's, let's get his, let him get his stamina up. Um, I want to, I want, we have like, weirdly the Sixers are now sort of, I, I mean, I, I can feel myself being a parody of myself, but <laughs> there's like, there's a lot of depth. They're loaded. They're loaded. There's a lot of depth. They got to play some, too many guards. This is this is the guards. This is the guards. Uh, pod. Yeah. I I mean I want to get Stauskas minutes. Bayless is going to get his if he's healthy. Uh, I I would love I would love for no one to play more than like 30 minutes a game. I think that is the. Well, they that can do is that. The, I think they can do I that. Think, I think that is the like the the um, you know they talk about resting guys in and giving them days off and stuff. But I, I think there's also something to be said for having them fresh on the court yeah, and just doing them in bursts. And well, I think, I don't know if a lot of teams, I mean, just pop, I mean, I think pop probably does that. No. So, so when, when the Spurs won the championship over the heat, I believe that there was no guy on the team that averaged 30 minutes and that is what, or, or the, the top was 29 or 30. And that, that's not because of resting. That's because of just not playing a lot of minutes. I do think they have the guard rotation to do it. I do believe that if there is one guy who I, I, I think the part of the attraction for Reddick coming here is that looking at it as another contract year in a year that he's going to get a lot of shots. I think if there's yeah. one guy that averages more than 30 minutes, it's definitely Reddick. I think he could be a 33-minute-a-game guy, and I, I think he could score 20 points a game. And I think uh, I think it's actually pretty likely that he does. Um, 20 is a lot. 20 is a lot. Yeah, I, I just I, – I think that he is going to be – like he'll he'll have and you think Embiid's going to score over twenty also and that's you don't often see guys teams with two team, two guys over twenty. Well, yeah, but Embiid, you know, I don't know. I you think it'll average out with him not not playing. not playing. Yeah, okay. and and on those on those days, I think they're going to look for Redick. I think that you're going to see, um, you know, you're going to see a lot of times when there's not really when there's no Simmons on the floor that there's not a primary playmaker. So you could have Redick and Bayless and Saric all on the same team and all taking turns doing that. And I think uh, I think Redick ends up scoring a bunch. I you know he's probably averaged. Actually, we have I put his he's gotten up to 17 before. Is that the most? No, 16.3 is his tops. And that was on a team with Blake Griffin and Chris Paul when they're definitely offensive options before him. I think Redick, like pretty much as a, as a scorer alone becomes the number two offensive option with the Sixers behind. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I feel good about him getting into that like 16, 17 point range. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right that if, if MB does miss games, then, then it'll tick up in those games. But Simmons is going to handle the ball a lot. He's going to score in transition. They're going to give. They're going to let him like operate in the post a little bit. He's going to find guys in the post, but he's he's also going to try to get his a little bit, little baby hooks inside. Um, I think Fultz is also going to do that. Covington's going to be hitting threes everywhere. I mean, Dario's going to get his. I I would find it. I I I find it hard to believe that aside from Embiid, anybody will 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 scratch. We'll get up to twenty, in the even close. I think I'd, I'd put I'd put everybody else's cap on seventeen. So I, I would say, I would say Fultz. I mean, I, I as I said, I don't want him to play a ton of minutes. I'd I'd be very happy with him at like twenty eight for the year. Um, and then with Redick, I think he'll probably get to like maybe thirty one. But you know, he wants to he wants to take care of his body. Also, we don't need to you don't need to burn him on both ends. So I could see 
We could see, I think, 16, 17. Get him, you know, his get him his like 13, 14 shots. Spread it around. I uh, I think Bayless, because of his fit with Simmons and Dario, yeah. ends up being the first guard off the bench pretty easily, assuming he's healthy and he's all right. And I've heard, um, you know, he's he has been in the he's been a guy that's been at the facility pretty much the entire off season working yes. to get right. So that's that's good, and I think he'll be the first guy off the bench, but. I do think, you know, the reason that the two guys that I think are easy, are the first two guys out of this guard rotation are Korkmaz just because of his. And uh, <laughs> you cheated a little bit, I think, in putting TLC in wings, but TLC will be in the wings category. I think yes. Kor- Korkmaz, uh, obviously, because of his youth and his body, is is one of the first guys out of the rotation. I think Stauskas, yeah. I think Stauskas too, because I think McConnell... He provides something that those other guys don't that I think they're going to need that, by the way, Bayless does not do, Reddick doesn't do, and I don't think Fultz does, and that is he's not going to turn it over. Um, he's going to play obvious, solid defense. I, you know, Reddick's an okay defender, but uh, McConnell is annoying and, and probably above average. So yeah. I, th- I think McConnell ends up, uh, you know, he could play 15 minutes a game, I think, 10 to 15 minutes, couldn't he? I would love that. Yeah, I would. I would love that. And I, do, I do think that. Uh, I think. Look, and this is what I'm going to ask him. We're going to talk about this on yeah. the live show. The live show, but October seventh at uh, he, Underground Arts. Tickets available now. He had to see that. I mean, he's a he's a smart guy. He's going to see that. Okay, Dario is a is like a point four. Simmons coming in as a point four. Embiid is going to be a lot of gravity at the whether he's inside or outside. He's like. He knows he can play defense. He knows he can, he's, he can push the pace. But the only thing keeping him from being a regular, like even higher 15 to 20 minutes per game contributor, because he would he would be more valuable than Bayless if he could shoot. And there's just no way that he hasn't been spending every fucking minute of the offseason just like shooting, putting up shots, stretching his game out, getting quicker with the release, working on his weird – uh, hold the ball in front of your head. Getting jumper. married. Getting married. Yeah. Aside from the, aside from that, I I just I I find it, and he's not a bad free throw shooter. He shot eighty one percent from the line last year. Yep. Uh, I I just find it very hard to believe that TJ will come into uh, this season as bad of a shooter as he was last year. I think uh, I, I think the big difference for him is going to be his just because of his size and and his strength. I think it'll always take a little while for that shot to get up, and that's the other issue with it. Um, but I think what he has to be able to do, and to your point, what he'll probably be able to do is if he's open, not pass on that shot and make it difficult. Like have a little gravity around him if he's going to take that shot. You know, in previous years, I don't think anyone was scared of him shooting it at all. And he did shoot 35 percent as the a, first year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if he can, if he can be a, and I, I really think because he, he's going to be one of those guys because he's only going to shoot it while he's wide open. I think his percentage could be, um, yeah. could be better. You know, could be between thirty five and thirty seven. If he can do that on wide, wide open threes and just not allow the other team to sag off him by ten feet, I think it's a yeah. huge improvement for him. I uh, think so, and I think, and I think, if he's doing that, then then there's no reason to start Bayless. There's no reason to no. play Bayless over him. I don't think uh, that. I think you. I think you have you have Redick and 
you have Reddick as your two guard. You have Fultz as as like, you know, he's he's gonna be pushing the pace. He's gonna be able to score in the pick and roll. But but Bayless, he's he's not a great distributor. He's not good on defense. He's a he's a good three point shooter for sure. He's had uh, he has he's had his best. He had his best year last year. I mean, not not last year. The Sixers last year with the with the Bucks. Um, he hasn't always been a stellar three point shooter. But there's a lot of uh, variance, by the way, to his three point shooting. Like he'll go forty yeah. percent one year to thirty five to to forty again. But I I think it's in him. It's definitely. He's, I mean, in. he's got he's got Bayless has that like he's he's a gunner. Like he's he's yeah. the first gunner we've had since since Lou. And uh, I think he can do some distributing. He's not as he's not as just uh, he doesn't go into boss mode the way Lou did, but. Um, he does want to get up his shots, and I, I just don't think that on this team you're looking for more of a catch and shoot guy, which Bayless was in his last year in Milwaukee. But I'm saying that if TJ can turn himself into that 35, 37 percent three point shooter uh, and hitting shots consistently, then the defense and and transition that TJ provides, I think, is more valuable than Bayless. And I and I could see I could see them a giving more minutes and then maybe trying to trade Bayless at the deadline. The, I, I don't think that's impossible. The one thing that Bayless does do, and, and you know, I even saw it in a couple of games he played last year in that he has the gunner, I can get a bucket here um, yeah. mentality or whatever. And he can a lot of times. And he's, uh, I think they will need that, you know, with the number of young guys they have on that team. He's definitely more capable of getting his shot than, um, than Redick is or than TJ is or so you know we'll see uh we'll see it'll be interesting to see that shake out so Korkmaz obviously ends up being one of the first guys out and then that leaves Stauskas as the mystery guy I just don't think he will improve to the level that he will play over the four guys in front of him and um you know I and and really if, if I'm going to put minutes to him or Korkmaz, um, I'm giving them to Korkmaz over Stauskas because his his size, and I, I think there's definitely more upside there, um, and getting him minutes might be nice in, in spurts here and there if he's not down with the sevens. I, you know, I'd, well, I, th- I think he will. I think he will be down with the sevens for most, for most of yeah. the year. I, I just, I, I'm just one unless somebody gets hurt. I'm not buying the, the Stauskas thing. I think this is definitely his last year here, and I don't – you know, I I don't know. I mean, I do. You, you think he plays? He's not a rotation guy for them. He can't be. I think I think he is. I think he is. I think he's gotten better every year, and I think being with the Kings as as a rookie year really f- fucked him up. And he's he improved in every aspect of his game last year, and a lot of times it didn't show up in the stats. But I I I truly believe Stauskas as a as a shooter, as a as a somewhat capable defensive player. Not never any never covering anybody that your best guy or anything, but I think as a as a as a non liability on defense and as a shooter and a little bit of playmaking from the two, a little bit of a little bit of point guard ability and and being able to be that guy that can that can uh, attack a closeout and just and make make things happen on the offensive end. I I I truly believe in it. He. He showed it at Michigan, and he had he has certainly struggled to adjust to the NBA game at, at different at different parts of it. But you can see, like he has the athleticism, and if the shooting is consistent, then he'll be he'll be a guy. I think I so I I still believe in him. I I could see a world where I mean certainly it's possible that Bayless gets injured again, but I could see a world where 
TJ's a better TJ, TJ's a better shooter, and and Stauskas has made himself like worthwhile. And they're saying, let's let's move Bayless because he's he's he'd be happier somewhere else, and and we clearly have the guys to to hold it up down here. You're That's dead. what I want to happen. Your, dedica- your dedication to Stauskas because he came on the podcast is really admirable. He came on the podcast. It's very I'm admirable. It's- I'm not saying he's like an, ever going to be like an NBA starter on a good team. I'm not saying that. But I do think rotation player that, that can give you points and bunches, that can catch catch and shoot, that can do a little distributing. I mean, that's the guys that they're looking for is guys that can like shoot and pass and move the ball from every position. And I think he fits into that into that role where he's not going to he's not he's he can take sh- like he can take good shots and and move the ball and find the best shot. I I I I think that is that is the offense that Brett Brown wants to play. Oh, on brand. You're on brand. I believe, I believe in him. All right. Come on. So that is it for the guards. Next week we'll do we could do a lot of I mean I I think we do the whole pod on the wings unless something else happens. Um, so next week we'll have a pot on the wings, uh, coming up, uh, either this week or next week, probably next week is going to be the first right streaky Sanchez radio on WIP. So we will, we will make a big deal out of that. Um, and, uh, and that's about it. You got anything else? Do you think, do you think that, uh, Marco Fultz is a better year than Dennis Smith or Lonzo Ball? No. Do you think, but you think he has a worse year than both? Yeah. In terms of efficiency, well, I mean, like, what are we talking about? I, I just think that those going to be counted on to do less than those other guys. Yeah, in turn, but I don't think he's like the he's the sort. There are some guys who need to be counted on less to to, and they'll excel in that role. I'm not sure he's that guy. The wow is like that. Yeah, um, I I think the fact that Ball and Smith are going to get so much run. I just think nationally it'll be very it'll be very clear. Like I don't think Fultz has any chance of winning rookie of the year. And I don't mean that in, in a negative sense. It just like he's not even the favorite on his own team to win rookie of the year. And Ball is, is going to he's just going to handle the ball so much and so is Dennis Smith. So um you know, I we might be happy with Fultz's year, but I think if you were to to put a panel of you know, national people together at the end and say who had the best year. I think those two guys will rank ahead of Fultz. Okay. What do you think? I think I, I think uh, I think nationally, I think you're right. Um, but I, I do anticipate being happy with Fultz. Yeah. Seeing seeing the three of them like grow together and feeling like like it was the right pick for us. I think is because because yeah. no, I, I I don't I don't disagree with that. There's no way we could have taken Dennis Smith. You know, given what this if we kept, if we stayed if we stayed at three, I would have I would have kept I would have taken Dennis Smith in a heartbeat. Well, yeah, I mean, I love Dennis Smith. Obviously, I, I'm not sure he fits as well as Fultz does. I think Fultz is the better fit, but we didn't stay at three. Oh yeah, stayed, of course, so. of course. I want I want Fultz. I, I don't regret yeah. anything that happened. I feel great about it. I'm just I think that uh, the way the team is is constructed, and if Embiid's healthy and Simmons is handling the ball as much as they anticipate it, then he will simply do less but he's also very young and uh projects as the best defender out of those three and possibly even the best catch and shoot guy like it'll be exciting because washington was so bad and also nc state was bad so it'll be interesting to see what dennis smith does with with actual teammates but fultz seems to be seems just better at using his teammates than than smith did 
and Lonzo obviously with a with an incredibly good shooting UCLA team. And by the um, by but the I'm way, excited to see Fultz's teammates. By the way, I agree with you. I would have taken Dennis Smith at three too, but we were we were never gonna we were going to get Jason Tatum at three if we stayed at three. You know, so I'm glad things that would have been that would have been truly awful. That, that would have been so. That's what we were so setting bad. up for. I, I think two pods before the trade is when I is when I became sure that we were taking Jason Tatum at three. So uh, I, I would have rather I still I would have rather then and I still would rather have now Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, well, I would have too. I, I I don't think Tatum was on my big board. I don't think he was top ten. Neither was Lonzo Ball for for what it's worth. All right, let's wrap up. This is this is now an hour and a half podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. We will see you at the live show. Uh, don't miss out on tickets. This week's Rights Ricky Sanchez brought to you by Ella Pavorsky Jewelers and DraftKings. Are you down with TTP? God damn it. We should do something with this at the live show. Uh, what if it happens? What if what if the trade breaks before the live show? Oh, my God. Uh, Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> we have to like get TJ to say it. He's like, it's my teammate. I like that guy. Yeah, like, well, uh, whatever. Just say you know lick face, TJ. Get out of here. Oh, oh, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. So we have to thank the uh, Dan Pfeiffer, uh, John Favreau, and John Lovett. At the end of Pod Save America, Dan Pfeiffer brought up his appearance on the Ricky, called us the premier 76ers podcast. He said the name. Yes, he, he said, said the, the name. name. And nobody, nobody winced, by the way. Like, Fa- uh, Favreau was like, oh, yeah, I saw that. And John Lovett, even though I'm sure he's never listened to the podcast, said it's it's the uh, his favorite 76ers podcast or something. But... Love it. Did did um, deny your story that he told you you'd have to get him French fries. He said quite the opposite. That he said that anyone who got him French fries would be fired. Do you care to comment? Uh, uh it's probably true. I was, <laughs> I was, I probably misremembered because I was not happy to not get the job to not get the job. And uh, but you know, it worked out. I got promoted on How I Met Your Mother. Sold the pilot that eventually became the show Alive in Denver, which you'll be able to see sometime soon. And uh, and it worked out. So good thing Lovett didn't hire me because maybe we wouldn't be doing this uh, TJ Live. Yeah. Who knows? It would never happen. It would have never happened. So thanks, John Lovett. And uh, and you were right. So All right. We'll but talk the, to you. Uh, the, the, Fy- the Pfeiffer podcast you guys should listen to last week, he was, it was very good. It's not super political. Okay, put your take swords away. Yeah. Uh, it's actually. We were talking about some cool, some cool Obama stories in a basketball sense rather than a political sense. Yeah, it's actually almost not political at all, actually. I, I had a – Mike knows I had a bunch of political questions and we really didn't answer – ask any of them. We talked about basketball but, mostly. So, um, so, yeah, not political at all. Put down the takes. All right, we'll talk to you Put next week. Down the takes. Ben, sit tight while we go through a few more ads. <laughs> Ben's not there anymore. This is the end of the podcast. People were worried that we were going to like change. That no. like the pod would be different. We had fucking Sharp's co-host on to piss off Sharp. Yeah, come on. And what the podcast still isn't even over. All right, can it be over now? Nonsense. All right, we're the on. same. All right, goodbye. <laughs> Seven days a week with you is more than I